Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are finishing out uh, this chapter and our series on the aftermath of Easter. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 50 and following. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when this perishable body puts on Im- imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now there's a whole lot of imperishability, perishability, immortality, mortality. Uh, sometimes it feels like Paul's talking in circles. You're like, wait, wait what, what were we talking about exactly in this text? But this text is a hopeful summary of this chapter, a hopeful summary uh, of the entire letter, actually. We've been talking about the importance of that Christ has risen, not just for Christ's sake, but for our sake. And that Christ is like a new Adam, uh, bringing life instead of death. And so in this, he, he talks about the great enemy still left, death. And what is it to be a conqueror? And I think about like for us, for so much of us, it, it's really like depressing if you watch too much news, if you, you hear too much about what's going on in the world, because all of the problems of the world seem so large and it just seems impossible. Like how would we ever resolve this? How would we ever fix this thing? But it's not just when we look globally, for some of us, when we look at our personal challenges and you're like, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm on diet 32, you know, at some point, can I, can I win in this? Uh, you've got a relationship that you just wanted to heal and you you feel like you keep trying to work on it and it just keeps failing and you're just like how how do we how do we get past this you maybe have been trying to find the right work for yourself whether that's in jobs or in retirement the right uh outlets for your creativity or your gifts your skills and you're just kind of pushing against this wall and you're like i'm just i can't find the fullness of life that i think i was made for and there's a way for us just to get uh, down on ourselves that we'll never actually have victory. It'll just, it's all about surviving as long as possible. But this is a story that Paul says is different. When he says, death has been swallowed up in victory, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? He says that while death still seems to be having victories, it's, it's not ignorant of the fact that you're still losing people that you love, that your body seems to be failing you. 
you know, Paul talks about having a thorn in the flesh, whether that's physical or something else, but there's still pains, there's still struggles. And what is it to say in the face of that death, you are not actually the powerful one. You're not actually the conqueror. You're not actually the victor. And I think to understand this passage, I want to take us back to another passage real quick. Paul has been mentioning Adam quite a bit. And I want to remind us of the story of the Garden of Eden, the story in which God plants humanity in the midst of, of harmony with animals, with, with the, the fruits of the trees, and, and says one rule in the text, which is don't eat from that tree. And for all parents, you know, this is a really bad tactic of saying, just, hey, don't touch the stove. Hey, don't jump on that. Whatever it is, you say, don't do that thing. And our human nature says, you know what? You know, it'd be really fun. What do you think that tree tastes like? Let's just give it a try. And I feel like in that story, there's punishment that happens afterwards because they eat from the, this tree and then Adam and Eve, they go, hey, wait a minute, I don't have clothes. And which is a weird thought. They're like, I'm naked. And you're like, if in the story, they've never had clothes, it's interesting for them to, to be thinking through these processes because they don't even know what they want or need. They just know they want to hide. They've never seen Levi's. So they're just like, oh, something's wrong with me. I can't be around you. Like what's going on? So they, they don't just hide probably from each other in a way. They're, they're hiding from God. And so they run and hide in the, in the bushes and the trees and say, maybe God won't find me, which we know, of course, is a little silly. Just like the kid who thinks they can hide from the parents. Oh, they won't notice this mess. They won't notice I drew on the walls. Maybe they won't notice. But God comes into the garden. Where are you? The people decides to try to pass off blame say you know what god you know that snake it tricked me oh you know what that the woman that you made for me she tricked me everybody wants to pass the buck and i feel like when we get to the end of the story god pronounces a bunch of judgments of of what happens to the snake in the story that that there's going to be even more pain in childbirth that there's going to be even more pain in the toils of working the earth and getting your food all of these difficult things and then at the end of it, I want to read the last few verses of it so we get the, the power of this. At the end of it, it says, The Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he, must reach out, he might reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the end of the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword uh, flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, and I always heard that story of God saying, you know what, we don't want these people to, have, to live forever. You know, I told them they would die for, if they eat the tree, so like, we gotta make sure they die. What if he were to eat from the tree of life? And he's like this, well, then am I wrong? I, I said you were going to die. And so it, it always seemed so, so much like this, this judgment of like, they, they just don't need to live forever. Let's just, let's just judge them. They should die. But I think there's actually something more interesting uh, in the rabbinical tradition and, and something else going on in this text, which is that the humans in the story are now 
flawed. They're now uh, aware of some things they shouldn't be aware of. They, they've messed things up. And the problem in the story is, what if we were messed up and we lived forever messed up? What if all of my weaknesses, all of my flaws never go away? What if for all eternity, I just could never be patient? I could never be kind. What if for all eternity, I had some aching bones, that joint that just wouldn't feel good? What if for all eternity, my thoughts just went into dark places? And so I think the end of that Garden of Eden story is about protection. Uh, that the human shouldn't live in this awful state for all times. That we need change. We need transformation before Revelation can revisit this Garden of Eden story, where maybe it wouldn't be dangerous to eat from the tree of life. I want to point out something odd in this story. Uh, we probably take it for granted that it says, and the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. And you're like, oh, they had a good leather jacket that day. And that seems normal of like, oh, he clothed them with skins. There's some animals who are now clothes for them. Uh, but some of the interpretation of this text is a lot weirder than you would expect. And for them, it was actually skin, their skin, that they became fleshly in a way that they hadn't been. Uh, and that's not to say that that interpretation is necessarily right, but it's always a good reminder that we think, take for granted some ways of reading these texts that have not always been the case. But I do think it's interesting in that interpretation line to think about how Paul talks to us that what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Of There's something about my physicalness that's, that's not quite ready for the fullness of the kingdom. And in the earlier passages, he talks about it. It's not that our bodies are necessarily evil or anything like that. It's just they're like the seed planted in the ground and what comes forth in resurrection is something even more beautiful, even more life-giving, even better. And so it's not flesh and blood that inherits the kingdom of God, nor the perishable, but it's the imperishable. And he talks about this being a mystery because you're like, okay, but so is the kingdom of God not for me? Well, no, no, no. It's not that. But there needs to be change. So he talks about there's people who are dead who will be raised, but even if you were not already dead, if God were to come back, you are going to be changed too. Don't worry about the fact that I've just told you that if you die, you get to be raised in a new way. Don't say, oh, well, I, I should die before God comes back then. <laughs> I don't want to miss out on this transformation, on this new life of, uh, what happens to me if Christ were to come back now? And so he says, we will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Now, I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure Scott might especially appreciate that there's this trumpet making this scene here. And you might think, well, what's the occasion for a trumpet sounding? It's not simply the, uh, the heavenly orchestra just wants to play trumpets that day. I think for the ancient culture, uh, one of the things that trumpets were associated with was you're talking about going to battle. You've got this kind of infantry moments where you hear the battle sounds of the kingdom of God entering. And this trumpet sounds, in part, is supposed to convey to you, 
don't worry, you'll hear it. You know, we can be in this space and sometimes mics go out. Some instruments aren't as loud as others. Uh, for any, uh, my wife played the flute in high school, you know, like, like, did I hear the flute? Is that the flute section going? But if the trumpets go, you hear it. You hear that brass section giving this full, big, strong sound of like, I, I think you're going to know that God is here. And so I don't know what, like, obviously that sound still resonates, but you know, it's, uh, it's just the fullness of sound is what you hear and it's not going to be missable, but the trumpet sounds and everything will change for the perishable body becomes imperishable. The mortal becomes immortal. And in it, you hear the victory cry. We got this trumpet sound and we're ready for this, this cosmic scene of God's armies what gets pronounced, what gets chanted at the front lines is death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? We can't create the battle lines of this. We all long for this battle cry when our aching bodies won't ache anymore, when our beloved, you know, people who have passed before us might rise again. And so it is God and God's armies that come with loud trumpet sounds and proclaiming not the specific enemies that you might want to lose, but our overarching enemy, that death might be swallowed up in victory. And he talks about the sting of death that we've all felt is that we have lived out broken lives. We have sinned. We haven't loved the way that we were supposed to. And we have noticed that because every culture has a law, whether it's the one that we have in our scriptures or others, no one has ever lived up to that law. And so we've all faced the reality of the power of, of sin and death. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's very interesting there. It does not say that thanks be to God who gives Jesus victory. We get victory, which is very, uh, it's very welcoming of us in this statement, because I don't know about you. I would imagine most of us in the room have had a lot of seasons of saying those lions just couldn't win again. But when they do win, you say, did you see we won last night? We love joining in the celebrations when there's victory and we distance ourselves and loss. But Paul thanks God, we have victory. It's not just Jesus' victory. We have victory through Jesus, that's what Paul said. And so I love this image that, that we are victorious. And you're like, I didn't do anything, really. That's okay. Christ did something. And so you might be like, I'm flawed, I'm weak. I'm aching, I've, I keep messing up, I keep not loving people the way that I know I should. I don't feel like I have any value or worth. And Paul says, hey, you are a victor in the cosmic world, in the cosmic battle of life. You are a champion, you are a, more than a conqueror, but it's not because of anything that you've done. And I know that can be really challenging to accept about ourselves. Some of us want to feel like we've earned everything. And it's like, ah, I don't want this praise. I don't feel like I earned it. Um, I don't want this opportunity. I don't feel like I deserve it. 
But what is it to say that the cosmic story is one of victory, your victory? Does it feel like we've earned that victory? And I think the beauty of this story is in a culture where it was very obvious there was another, another nation in power who ruled over you, who made rules or tax laws and things you didn't like, who might tell you your faith was illegitimate and that it was illegal. Uh, but guess what? Your kingdom is God's kingdom. And your victory is assured not on your will and your doing, but God's. And so in the face of this beautiful story, which we long for, of life, of healing, we celebrate Christ's victory. And so Paul encourages us, that being the case, he writes, therefore, my beloved, be steadfast and immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so it is not our works that do anything about this victory. But Paul doesn't say, therefore, go do whatever you want. You can just check out, guess what? Christ wins. Everything's permissible. Do whatever you want for the rest of your life. Instead, he says, hey, beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. So that's the interesting tensions of our faith. People might perceive, well, why are you doing these things? Are you trying to like earn your salvation? Are you trying to work your way into heaven? Why did you give up your night to go serve people at the cafe? Why did you, why did you get up and go help that neighbor? Why did you do these things? Are you trying to just get favor with God? And the answer is no, not at all. Why did I do those things? Because I did not deserve what Christ has done. I do not deserve that God loves me. I do not deserve any of this. But what should I do now? How might I, why wouldn't I want to live like God's kingdom? Go help others, care for others, treat people the way that they should be treated. And so we live and work for God uh, because he first worked in us. And so, Paul ends with, because you know that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And I can't help this whole week preparing. I'm reading this text about victory and death. I'm thinking about these labor in vain. If you were here yesterday at Kenyon's funeral, uh, there's a lot of overlap here. The author in Ecclesiastes, we read yesterday in the funeral, uh, well, what's the point of all of this work in life? Everything, is it meaningless or not? And Paul's telling people, keep working for the Lord. There's a purpose that is bigger than us. God is victorious. God has won the battle, even when it doesn't look like it yet. And so I wonder how often Paul thought, is my labor here in vain? Did any of this matter? I'm writing a lot of letters to this church in Corinth. Did they get anything about what I said? Do they believe anything about what I've taught? what's going to happen to this church in Corinth. And he's able to be confident enough to not just work through that himself, but invite the church in Corinth. I want you to know that you shouldn't give up either, that there's purpose in this work and there's goodness and there's life. And so 
We long for the end of this story. We long for change and transformation. We long to be the selves God made us fully into being. And I look forward to that garden scene that Revelation concludes with, one in which the Garden uh, of Eden is now in this urban garden. It's the New Jerusalem. There's the city happening there, and the tree of life is there, and it has leaves that are even for healing, and all this beautiful image. But if you remember that story of Revelation, the story is not one where there's an angel out front with a fiery sword guarding it, because that's where we left it there in Genesis. Revelation's image is that the gates are always open. That's a big contrast to the early part of that story. Because that's what God does want for us. God is not, you know what, you guys were wrong, you messed up, I just think you should die. Live with your decisions. Maybe that parent analogy works well again. When your kids mess up, you don't want to just bring harmful judgment and you know the grounding is not about i hope you feel bad it's i hope that the next time you're able to live well i hope you might be changed from this i really don't want to have to get you in trouble here but i want you to live fully and so the great story of the bible is there's a fiery sword blocking the tree of life but through Christ, we have new life as the new Adam. And then the gates aren't even having to be ever closed again. You're free to take, to eat, walk with God, and that you belong there. Because that's where God wanted you. And that is where we fully get to celebrate and chant, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? And I know we all long for that moment, but may we live into that moment. May we find that energy for work, for the labor that's not in vain. May we trust in God and hope in God afresh today. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I just pray that those who feel discouraged, who feel like they're running on empty, might feel uh, filled with your spirit and life, that we might be recharged for the journey you have in front of us. Or for those who have been taking care of, of loved ones uh, and who feel uh, a heaviness of, of, am I doing enough? Am I doing this well? Am I doing it right? Lord, we just ask for encouragement. You might help lift their shoulders up. Lord, we pray for those who are, are trying to figure out the wisdom of their next steps in life. They're trying to seek out what you have for them, and, and they're just unsure. And we ask for some wisdom and clarity that they might walk a road that they don't think is in vain, but is filled with your life. We pray for those who are grieving because they miss people that they they loved dearly in their life. We pray that that death would not feel like the victor in our imaginations, but that we would trust in you. Lord, for all who feel like they are in the midst of trials, 
we ask that you might reveal what what life looks like in the midst of those trials, that those challenges might be the opportunity to find new life and growth and transformation. And Lord, we long to be fully as you have created us to be. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.